physically risen from the grave and he has the ability now to change his appearance, I guess you could say. And two disciples, they're believers, they're talking and Jesus starts walking along with them. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So these men were discouraged. They were depressed. They were downhearted. Why? Because they were convinced that Jesus was the promised Messiah and that he was going to make things happen. He was going to restore Israel to its prominence once again as a nation. He was going to boot the Romans out of, out of town. But of course, that's the way the Jews looked at the coming Messiah. We know now with our understanding that Jesus didn't come the first time to do all of those physical things. He came to die for the sins of the human race so that we can be restored to God. But notice, Jesus senses their lack of hope, their frustration, their sadness, and notice what he says when he sees that in them. Verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all these scriptures concerning himself. So he's going to explain to them now that indeed this Messiah that was coming was going to have to die for a reason, God-ordained reason. And it was for a good purpose that he did die, and he truly is now re resurrected from the dead. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then, so when Jesus took the bread, broke it, and gave it to him, as we're going to do here in a little while with our communion service, only then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Wow, what a... What a kind of strange and weird experience for these two men with Jesus. 
So the two men, the two disciples who had hoped in Jesus to be the Messiah, had been very discouraged by the turn of events. They had hope, but they lost their hope because they did not understand the scriptures. Their hope was not put to shame, but they couldn't just see it yet. Now our hope, you know, we have hope in many different things. And I can remember saying to my mother, I hope I get good grades on my report card. Or thinking, I hope my mom makes pizza for dinner this week. (laughs) Or I hope this, or I hope that. I hope when I go to the doctor, I get a good report. We have a lot of hopes. And our hope is often squelched by our own doubts. It's a common fear, this putting to shame of one's hope. And a lot of times over the years, our, our hopes have come to naught. It's a fire easily extinguished by the wet blanket of the world's disappointments, our hope is. By definition, hope is something future-oriented, out beyond there someplace, something promised, though not yet possessed. That's what hope is. Something promised, though not yet possessed. Anything out in the future is, of course, uncertain, and that uncertainty plays with our mind. The things we hope for and hope in can let us down. We've been there a thousand times, haven't we? The hoped for Christmas present never comes. The hoped for spouse never asks you out on a date. The hoped for promotion never materializes. To grow up in this world is to grow up learning to deal with disappointment, isn't it? Hope, it seems, is a fickle thing. Perhaps it's something better left alone. That's why so many today seem to have no hope. They don't want to be disappointed. They don't want to be discouraged again. Why bother? So they become cynics. Things might be okay later on, but don't get your hopes up. Everything ultimately disappoints. (laughs) That's what a lot of people in this world think today. But notice as these men walked with Jesus, Their new partner, Jesus Christ, rebuked their lack of hope and faith and spoke wonderful things to them from the Bible. All they knew was that their hearts began to light up with something pushing them onward when Jesus spoke to them. A burning inside that restored the hope they thought that they had lost. They were going home mourning a dead Jesus, but on the way they met a living Savior. So it's an interesting story, but we all need to be able to relate to this because we have hopes in our life about this or that. You know, whether it's a physical thing, whether it's a a relational thing, or whether it's about God and the future and our standing with him. We all have hopes like that. Jesus chastises us when we let our hopes slip, when we let whatever you know, factor around us, whether it's the world, whether it's the media, whether it's negative people, they try to smash our hopes. And Jesus corrects us when we do that because we should be people of hope. So Jesus does the same work with us that he did with these men whenever our head is hung lowest in discouragement and whenever our heart is dimmest. 
But why would Jesus care about me personally? You know what? He's got a whole world to deal with. He's got a whole universe to deal with. He's got the angelic realm to deal with. Why would Jesus care about me and my personal problems? Well, he bears with each of us as if we were the only person in the world. Do you realize that? Jesus Christ bears with you and your personal problems and your situation as if you were the only person in the world. Because in Jesus Christ, you are the only person in the world. He is able to focus on you in that way and with each and every one of us. That's what God can do. That's what it means to be God. You can have that personal attention for each individual person. You are his mission, okay? The very reason he lived, died, and rose again was because of you, individually. He has all the time in the world for you and all the patience, too, it seems. And it's, it's true. You know, how can God be so patient with me? You know, I've, I've disappointed him so many times. I've tried to be good, and I've slipped up, and I messed up my life, and this and that. But God has all that patience for you individually as well. And he treats you like you're the only person on the earth. What a, what a loving God. What a wonderful God we serve. And that day, the story that we just read, Jesus taught the two men, and therefore us, because we just read the story, to look beyond this world. We should not set our hope on earthly riches or even on life itself because God knows better. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. See, when we set our hope on other things, we can be disappointed if our hope is set on the wrong things. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So whenever your hope strays from God, you're opening the door for possible disappointment. And in many respects, it's going to happen. Christians are to set their hope on God. Christian hope is solid and firm like the rock that it stands on. And we purposely sang a couple of songs at the beginning of services about Jesus as our rock. There is no rock. There is no God like our God. See, if you put your hope in him, it's not going to be shaken. You're not going to be disappointed. He's not going to let you down. More than just being optimistic, Christian hope is a firm conviction that things not yet seen are coming just as sure as the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning. Is Jesus going to return? He absolutely is. It's not iffy. It's not perhaps he might. He definitely is coming back. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, most of us are familiar with that chapter. We call it the faith chapter. 
because it goes through a, a tremendous list of people from the Old Testament mostly, but it gets a little bit into the New Testament. And it talks about the faith that they had in their lives in spite of very difficult circumstances that each of them faced. It starts in verse 4 with Abel. By, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. But what happened to Abel? He ended up getting murdered after he offered the proper sacrifice to God. He was murdered by his brother Cain. So it goes on, it talks about Enoch, it talks about Noah, it talks about Abraham, and down through the list, all the way through the chapter, it talks about Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and so on and so forth. It says in verse 39, these were all commended for their faith their trust, their hope in God, yet none of them received what had been promised. Not yet, they haven't. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So that whole chapter shows people who are people of hope. They trusted God, and God has not let them down. They've lived their physical lives, the great promises, haven't come yet. They were blessed throughout their lives, but they still await the great promises. Are the great promises going to come? They are indeed. But they still had hope that kept them going through their lives in spite of all the trouble that they encountered. So that when our world gets dark, we don't have to fight to keep hope alive. Our hope isn't merely a feeling. Our hope is a person. Our hope is Jesus Christ, okay? And Jesus Christ, everything that he told us, because don't forget scripture says in Titus, God who cannot lie has promised this. So everything that Jesus said about our sins being forgiven, about how he died on the cross to clear us of all guilt, of how he is going to return in glory, he cannot lie, he is our hope. And sometimes our hope wavers because we still deal with human nature and we still live in this fallen world. There's a lot of negative influences around us every day. So sometimes our hope is a little sketchy, but don't forget, your hope and my hope is not a feeling that we have to muster up. Our hope is a person who has risen from the dead and who has promised us you know, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. When we place our hope in Jesus, our hope holds up because Jesus holds up. Hope becomes a solid foundation rather than a wobbly anticipation on our part. Jesus is that rock that we can count on. A Christian author, J.J. Packer, put it this way. Listen to what he said. Living between the two comings of Christ, that's what we're doing now. He came once in the past, born of a manger in, in Bethlehem, and he's yet to return. So we're living in that in-between time, living between the two comings of Christ. Christians are to look backward and forward, back to the manger, the cross, and the empty tomb, whereby salvation was won for them, and also forward to their meeting with Christ beyond this world their personal resurrection from the dead, and the joy of being with their Savior in glory forever. 
He says, New Testament devotion is consistently oriented to this hope. Christ is our hope, and we serve the God of hope. Faith itself is defined as being sure of what we hope for. And Christian commitment is defined as having fled to take hold of this hope as an anchor for the soul. When Jesus directed his disciples to lay up treasure in heaven, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, he was saying in effect, as Peter was later to say, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Amen. So hope for a Christian is as firm as can be. And even our suffering in this world can't take it away. As J.J. Packer goes on to say, though the Christian life is regularly marked more by suffering than by triumph, our hope is sure and our mood should be one of unquenchable confidence because we are on the victory side. So that is the confidence, that is the hope that we have as Christians. And we're living in difficult times. We talk about all the people who are sick, people who are dying. We talk about the oncoming winter weather and how dark it is and where did the sun go? And, <laughs> you know, if your hope is on things, they're going to fail. But if our hope is on the person, Jesus Christ, he is never going to let us down. So back here to our original story in Luke chapter 24 with the two men on the road to Emmaus. You know, when Jesus sensed their lack of hope, he chastised them. And sometimes maybe we, you know, bring that same correction on ourselves when we live our lives with no hope. And Jesus kind of gets on our case a little bit and starts to remind us, maybe as he's doing right now, where your hope should be, it's on him. Don't doubt him. Everything that he said to us is going to come to pass. Amen. He is the, the guarantor of all the promises of God. You know, will God let me down in this? Will God, you know, fulfill that? Jesus is the guarantor, the one who guarantees that all of God's promises will be fulfilled. And we read at the end of this story that evening, Jesus sat with the two men and they sat at a meal. And he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And it was only when that happened, as you know, when we take the communion today, there's something that happens when we come forward and we take that bread and we take that fruit of the vine. I think that we come to understand Jesus a little bit more deeply. You know, we may not see it, we may not necessarily feel it, but it's happening. The longer we take the communion, as the years go by in our Christian life, the deeper in relationship we come to be with Jesus. And I think that that's something that he shows there. In that story, it's only when he broke the bread and gave it to them, and they took it and ate, it says that their eyes were open to their Savior. They saw before them hope personified then they ran back to jerusalem to tell the other disciples and they ran filled with hope so jesus is the one who initiates our hope he establishes it he sustains it 
And just like these men, just like the rest of the disciples, just like all Christians down throughout history, we go through rocky times in our lives. We go through dark times in our lives. We go through times of regret, remorse, loss, suffering, persecution, whatever the case may be. And it's at a time like that that Jesus, in our minds and our hearts, reestablishes himself as the source of our hope. He is our hope. Let's never lose sight of that and always come back to him. Whenever we're troubled, whenever we're uh, confused, whenever we're downtrodden, come back to Jesus. Call him your hope. Say, Jesus, help me. I need to feel your hope more. I need to have that hope for the future. Help me to keep looking forward. And he will do just that. So as uh, Mary gets the table ready here, we're going to invite you all to come down just like we're on the road to Emmaus here with Jesus. And he's going to break the bread here and serve us. And by doing so, we urge everybody to participate. Of course, it's up to you. But as you come down here and take these elements, somehow Jesus is opening your eyes to see him more clearly, opening your mind and heart to understand him uh, more personally. That's a promise from Jesus Christ. So let's ask God's blessing on the elements here. Father, thank you for the wonderful privilege of being able to come together as a church to the communion table. And we just read the story about Jesus and how important it was for him with those men to break the bread and to serve them. And they took the bread, the wine, they ate and drank, and their eyes were opened. So, Father, as we come forward today, we pray that you open our eyes even more to see Jesus more clearly, to understand him more personally, and to see him especially as our hope. So thank you, Father. We ask your blessing on the bread, which represents Jesus' body, on the fruit of the vine, which represents his shed blood, both symbols of his death on the cross for our sins. So thank you, Father. We love you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.